Subscribe with iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. And if you enjoy what you hear, like us on Facebook. Also, consider throwing a little cash our way by visiting patreon.com slash koreafm. And find more of our great content on our home on the web, koreafm.net. Leo Mendoza is a Colombian living in South Korea, and he's married to a Korean woman. They're both living in the Busan area. And uh, the reason we're speaking right now, you may have heard about this. Recently, there was an unfortunate event at a Costco here in Busan, and Leo posted about it on his Facebook page under the title, A Reminder of Foreignness and a Warning to Avoid Being Arrested. Um, Much like many other people, I saw this. I was talking about it on the internet with a few friends uh, on Facebook, actually. Um, I think I'm probably not the only person kind of talking with their friends about this, having lived in South Korea myself for several years. And I reached out to Leo to see if he wanted to speak to me about the events Um, There's also an update on this that we'll get to a little bit later, and uh, I was so happy that he decided to speak to me to tell his story and hopefully let other foreigners know uh, what happened to him and also to perhaps let other Koreans know what happened to him so maybe something like this won't happen in the future. So, Leo Mendoza, first off, thank you for speaking with me. This is probably not an easy topic for you, so I do appreciate the fact that you uh, accepted my offer to talk about this. Hi, well, thank you for having me on the show. It's really good to have a chance to speak. I've been doing a lot of typing recently. I'm trying to answer as many comments as I can. So it's refreshing to be able to just speak about it. Absolutely. And so uh, that's what this will be. This will be your opportunity to Explain what happened, um, give your impressions. Obviously, your wife is not joining us right now, but um, you can talk about her experiences as well. And then hopefully um, people will learn not only what happened to you, but perhaps uh, make sure that this doesn't happen to people in the future. So I just want to start off with, obviously, um, there would be at least two sides to this event. Um, We only have your side represented right now. And I just want to point out that everything that we're going to discuss, obviously, I was not there. I only have um, the different things that are being said about this online to go on. So just want to mention that. Um, But now to get on to what happened. So as I mentioned, you posted about this on Facebook. Um, You made a public post so people could um, share it and discuss it with uh, their friends and colleagues online. And that title, A Reminder of Foreignness and a Warning to Avoid Being Arrested. So... Um, obviously, as I mentioned, you're not South Korean. Your wife is. You're Colombian. Right. And you were yes. arrested, apparently. So describe when this event happened, and then we'll get into kind of some of the details. Okay. This happened last Thursday evening. We were, Which was at the end of March, correct? Yes, at the end of March. Don't remember the exact date. But yeah, it was then. We were getting out of shopping, and then there was a, an altercation with some Koreans having to do with 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 the they weren't happy with the way we were talking to them about their child. It was a chaotic moment. Um, I think anybody who's been shopping can probably identify with this. There was a, a child running around, as kids always do, playing. And I go into great detail about the, the story in my post, so I'm not going to repeat everything. But basically, the child ran into traffic while the parents and the adults that were responsible were not really paying attention. My wife initially screamed because she saw the child about to get hit by a car. 
Her scream alerted the driver who stopped the car and didn't hit the child. Now, after that, we were both quite shocked that the parents and the grandparents who were there were not paying attention to their kid that almost got into a very serious accident with that car. And my wife yelled at them and I yelled at them too, you know, telling them to be responsible. That's the point where the family members took offense to us, kind of telling them how to parent. And basically were telling, telling us that there was not a responsibility. And as you said earlier, we can't have both sides. We have my recollection of it as I remember it, which is what I've tried to put forth. Uh, but once the, 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 the altercation happened, there was a point where the man, he, he was the grandfather of the child, physically came to attack my wife. I got in the way between him and my wife. And the reason that happened is because once again, um, you make the case, correct me if I'm wrong, from your post on Facebook, that he was upset that basically, if you will, he, his party kind of got called out for not being mindful of the child. Right. I mean, the initial anger of them, I think they did not even realize the car and the child came so close because the first thing they yelled at us was in response to our scream. Now, my wife just screamed, uh, not a word, just a scream. I also did stop. I screamed that. And the parents or, or the mother and the grandparents, they thought we were scolding their child. So they yelled back at us in anger saying, you know, why are you scaring my child with your yelling? They weren't aware of the danger that was happening. And of course, from that moment, their attitude toward us was very negative. And so at what point did it go from negative attitude, maybe some verbal back and forth between you and your wife and that party about, about the, the child almost being hit by a car it, to something physical? We were parked about five cars away from each other on the same lane and they were at their car and we were at our car. This is after the initial exchange of words and everything seemed to be cooling down. We were loading the groceries into the back of our van and the ladies were loading their stuff into their own car. But the man was glaring at us and you know, there, he was glaring, glaring at us with a very, very strong face and you can probably imagine what that would look like and at some point i was just looking back at him wondering what's he doing he was not in a friendly stance and then because i was looking back at him he swore at me at the point he swore at me my wife yelled back in korean saying why are you swearing at us why are you yelling at us we were just trying to help he just looked back at her and then i saw i saw him start to move towards us towards her because she's the one that had yelled at him. That's the point where I met him. So we kind of met maybe we were five cars apart. So we met in the middle at car number three, I guess. At which point he just started shoving past me to try to get to my wife. And I just was standing in front of him. And I mentioned on the post, I kept my hands down because I know that you can never get into a physical confrontation with a Korean because it's not going to go good for you. Yeah, just just to explain maybe to someone who doesn't know that, that is a very stereotypical mindset for a foreigner in South Korean to have. Um, different right. stories right. of foreigners reporting crime, um, being ignored, um, even being sort of, as we'll get to with what happened to you, being blamed for something that 
when you first start out talking to the police, you never would think that they would turn the tables on you. So this is not an absurd mindset to have, that you just never want to get involved with anything in South Korea because as a foreigner, you're not sure that you're going to have police listening to you or maybe even legally respecting your rights. Exactly. Anyone who's got the internet here, now with Facebook before with Dave's ESL Cafe and whatever else there has been, knows the stories of people who got into a bar fight or a street fight or intervened in a fight between Koreans, that the foreigner that raises blows, raises arms against Koreans, ends up much, much worse than the Korean does, legally speaking. So with that in mind, I knew I cannot raise my hands against him. But it didn't matter. He just kept on pushing me to the point where he pushed me down to the ground and came on top of me. So that's when things got really scary. And then something I also want to bring up here, you mentioned just now, but also when you were writing that you kept your hands behind your back, you mentioned you have military training. And if you had wanted to escalate the situation, that would have been within your ability. Right, right. I served in the Colombian military back in the 90s. And if you know anything about Colombian military actions in the 19s, you'll you'll know that we were at war with the rebels and with the drug traffickers. And I was a military police officer and I had opportunities to, in real life, subdue people. So I could have done it. I'm not in shape, but at least I know I know the techniques to do it. So once again, um, you know, as we mentioned, your, your side of the story, it sounds like things escalated. It got to a physical confrontation, but you tried to once again protect your wife and not make things go any further than the man who was um, physically interacting with you was going to take it anyways. Um, and then so take it from there. I believe you're both on the ground at this point. At that point, I'm on the ground and he's on top of me holding me down. And I see his arm come up as if he's about to swing a punch at me, to which the first thing I did, just as loud as I can, I yelled, Kyongchal, 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 which means police. Exactly. And with that yelling, he, he kind of stopped. He didn't get up, but at least he didn't swing at me. And we stayed there. For me, it seemed like it could have been three minutes. I, I'm sure it was a shorter time than that. But basically, we stayed there with him on top of me menacingly. Me with my hands. At that point, my hands were on my belly, just protecting my vital organs. And at that point, finally, a Costco employee showed up and asked him to stand up. That was the end of the physical confrontation. Just a point of reference. There's a photo um, that you posted with this um, public post uh, on Facebook that um, has been being shared. Um, in this photo, is whose face is blacked out? That's the man that was attacking me. Okay, so then he's on top of you in this photo. Yes. And you mentioned this in the post. Um, your phone got knocked out of your hand or your phone's wife got knocked out of her hand or maybe even both because of... Uh, the struggle that took place, but you were able to get photos. Obviously there's the photo with this post video. Right. Um, so there is, we'll get to this a little bit later. There is photographic evidence. Also, um, I'm sure other people saw this struggle. I'm sure the Costco people eventually who showed up, saw what was going on. Maybe there's even CCTV where you were at the time. Yes. Yes. There was ample evidence for the story that I was saying. And I want to point out, we'll probably get this later, but at no point did he try to press charges against me because he knows all the evidence was against him. But that didn't stop 
you from being booked and then apparently technically arrested. So let's continue on with this story. The Costco employees come out. They say, stop right. what you're doing. Um, and then and then where does this go? Okay. So at that point, um, I'm, I, I stood up. He stood up. And the mother of the child had my wife's phone in her hand because she snatched it from her when my wife was taking the pictures of me on the ground. Um, so my wife snatched her phone back and called the police. And we stood there with the Costco employee standing between him and us for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes waiting for the police to come. Now this entire time with no confrontation, with no response from us, he kept yelling all of these horrible insults and especially a lot of racist insults at us. So we're at the point where we're just standing there and then the police show up. At this point is where I thought, okay, Everything's going to be fine. The police are going to sort this out. They're going to get this man to calm down and stop his yelling. But that's not what happened. What happened was when the police came, they went to him to take his statement, which he did the whole time swearing and using all the racist insults and everything. And so, and so you and your wife can, can hear this because obviously you're near the cars and the police are just talking to him, getting his statement. Yes, and he's not talking. He's yelling out and he's looking at every other person he sees around, pointing at us, using all of these derogatory terms. Where's the child at this point? The child is in the car at this point with the mother. The grandmother is out with the father and the grandmother and the mother, they took turns going to the car and one of them was in the confrontation. The other one was in the child. Okay. So, so continuing with the story, the policemen come and... This guy's not stopping all, all of his insults and everything. At which point I showed I showed the police my photos and the video. There is video and photos that I haven't posted online to protect the man's privacy. But we have more than ample evidence of his behavior being inappropriate. And if there is such a law here in Korea, criminal in the words that he was saying. The police basically were telling us, you know what? Let him apologize to you and then go home, which was quite shocking to me. Now, uh, if if you've been here in Korea for a long time, you know that a lot of issues in Korea get solved when one of the parties, the offending party, issues a sincere apology. And even if you're married to a Korean, you know that this is an issue, right? <laughs> All right. No comment. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the saving face is something that is definitely um, quite 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 something that exists in South Korea. We, you have public apologies. Um, for instance, yeah. uh, Park Geun-hye, before she was impeached, she made public apologies. Heads of uh, companies will make public apologies. People will make a, an apology. And if it's considered sincere, that's supposed to be quite an effort on their part to show that, you know, they did something wrong and, and, and are, um, you know, um, wishing that, 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 that hadn't happened. This is not something I'm from the United States where I, I wouldn't be looking for a public apology from a company. If they did something wrong, I'd want the person to go to jail or I'd want some sort of repercussions, but it seems like the apology is very prevalent here in Korea. Yes. In, in Korean culture, a very sincere apology humbles the apologizer. And many people consider that being humbled like that is punishment enough. So I know the Korean context of what the policeman is offering. He's offering 
if this man apologizes, then you should just walk away from it. Everything is fine. You're not bleeding. You don't look like you've just been right. mercilessly beat it, up. You obviously have been attacked, but perhaps he says, wash our hands of this and we go our separate ways. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I'll tell you something. If I had seen that at that moment, the man was just sincerely apologizing. If he would have come to us and said, look, I'm sorry. I was angry. I didn't understand why you were yelling. Uh, my words were inappropriate. Thank you for helping my child. I would have accepted the apology and we would not be talking right now. But he was still swearing, yelling, being a racist. This man was not going to offer a sincere apology at that moment, which is what I told the police. I said, look, this is not a sincere apology. I will not accept it. I think we should file charges against him. The police tried really hard. The two police officers who came, there were patrolmen that came. They tried really hard to convince us not to. But eventually they said, okay. And in the patrol car, my wife and I got in and he also got into the patrol car. This, I, just we wanna, I just want to bring this up. I've seen this happen before. I've seen physical altercations on the street. And I've seen all parties get into the police car and then go to the police station. That must have been odd for you to then be in the car with that man. It was odd and awkward, uh, especially because, you know, you're from America. You know that once you get seated in the backseat of a police car, you cannot get out. That's, that's the seat for the criminals. Uh, this man was put in the front seat and my wife and I were in the back seat. So from right there, I began to worry about how the situation goes. And anyways, the police car drove to the local police station. And the entire time in the patrol car, he kept swearing, he kept insulting, he kept being racist. It didn't stop. And when, when you say this didn't stop, uh, maybe I should have asked this question a little bit earlier, but is your Korean at a, I believe you've, you've been here 16 years. Is your Korean language at a level that you're understanding everything that's going on? Are you talking um, in another language with your wife and she's filling in some of the gaps? I'm understanding the vast majority, but trust me, it only takes a few years in Korean to learn all the swear words. Sure. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. the, the first yeah. thing everybody learns. Like, I recognize the swear words that were being said. And I did speak some Korean to them. To, to the police officer, perhaps? How did you communicate with the officer? Police officer, I only spoke in English because I know that there can be anything that I say against the police officer can be used against me. And I don't want to misspeak because I speak in Korean that I don't fluently communicate in. So I only, it's my policy to only speak to law enforcement in English and ask for a translator if needed. Okay. So, uh, I, but I, of course I'm understanding and not just, I'm understanding my wife is understanding. Yeah. And your wife is there who, who is a South Korean. So obviously fully, uh, able to use the language. Exactly. And fully understanding the depth and nuance of the swear words he was using. In fact, I did hear someone, some words that I hadn't heard before, uh, the words that he used to accuse her anyway. So in the patrol car, it doesn't stop. We get, we arrive at the local police station, all of us get out and there we are met by a more senior police officer. Uh, I would assume he was the officer in charge on duty at the moment. And the entire thing had to be explained again. This is in the small local police station, which is the size of a small living room. So everybody's within earshot of everybody. 
And the man once again explains his side of the story. Once again, he's belligerent, he's angry, he's swearing, he's agitated, and we are speaking in a calm, normal tone. Once we got there, I gave my, my statement, my wife gave her statement, the man gave his statement, and then all three of us had to sit on the same bench, which once again, strange. And sitting on that bench, he kept going at it. By the way, um, back in the parking lot, for some reason, he thought I was from Poland. Yeah, I remember reading that, yeah. <laughs> yes. So the whole time, he's basically calling me, you, you Poland bleep. You Polish bleep would be what it is. And he said to me again in the police station, once again, he said, you Polish bleep. And the senior officer said to him, no, he's not Polish. He's from Colombia. To which the man responded, oh, Colombia, well, that's even dirtier and lower, you Colombian bleep. Now, at this point, several times, I had already told the senior officer, please keep him quiet. Please stop his abuse. And he absolutely rejected it. You, you can see in my post that I made, there was also my wife's side of the story. And she was told by the policeman, oh, this is not racist. He's just normal. He's just talking the way that, that he should talk let him that to tell you the truth of everything that happened of all all the, the violence and the insults and the yelling the one thing that compelled me to share my story was the police inaction to me that's the real problem here and once again to bring up something that i quickly mentioned at the beginning this is something that a lot of foreigners have heard about this has happened to people before um, an action by the police. So not only are you victimized by whatever incident that then gets you talking to the police, a lot of times people will feel, will feel victimized a second or a third time by how they're treated or not treated by the police. Right. And part of what I do here in South Korea, I run a dog shelter and I do dog rescue programs. So I'm slightly known within people that like animals which is probably why my post got so shared. But in, in the process of my work with animals, I post a lot, just a lot of pictures and stories about animals. And normally I get, you know, 50, 60, 70 likes, maybe 10 comments and maybe four or five shares. In this particular story, at, at the moment I wrote it, there had been like 2000 like reactions and 1,700 shares. To me, that number, the shares, that is just incredibly poignant. The fact that, you know, 1,700 people or 1,800 by now identified with the story to the point that they would share shows me that, you know, I'm not alone on this. I'm not, not alone on feeling this type of situation. To get back to uh, finish the story, uh, is this the point at which the man's story changes and he says that he was, in fact, the victim? Exactly. At this point where I am just begging the policeman and my wife is begging to stop him from talking, from insulting us, the man suddenly starts saying, oh, my knee is hurting. Then he says that I pulled him down. He says that he started saying that I grabbed him and I threw myself on the ground and I pulled him on top of me. So the policeman immediately says, oh, you're hurt? Where are you hurt? 
and, and, and within a couple of minutes, a camera comes out. They start taking pictures of his knee. They take pictures of his chest because he said that that's where I grabbed him. Uh, and of course, and I said, hey, my shoulder hurts because I landed on my shoulder because my arms were not catching my fall. They take a picture of my shoulder too. But at this point, he says that he was a victim too. Now, at this point, the police officers had been telling me you can get his apology and leave. You can get his apology and leave. So it was clear to me the entire time that I was the one that had the right to end the altercation. I was the one that had the right to walk out at any point because I was the victim. This is something that was made clear to me over and over again until that moment when he said that he was hurt and they started saying, oh, maybe he's a victim too. Then, you know, like I told you, they took the pictures. Then a little while later, they print out some papers and put them in front of me. And they say, okay, well, to continue this process, you need to sign this. And I say, what am I signing? Because you should never sign something you don't understand. And one of the documents that he put in front of me, he said, oh, in English, the police officer who spoke some English said, this is your Miranda rights. Like you have a right. To, and then I interrupted him, wait a minute. I know what Miranda rights are, and I know who is read the Miranda rights, criminal suspects that get arrested. Am I being arrested? And he said, yes, you are being arrested for aggression against this man, and you're guilty until you can prove your innocence. That must have been obviously quite a moment in your mind, and for your wife as well, um, to go from... Um, the perceived victims in the incident, maybe not treated the way you'd like to be treated, but on that end of things to then go to, okay, well now it looks like, <laughs> you know, now it looks like shit has hit the fan. I mean, this was not a good moment for you and your wife. Exactly. At that point, I said, I am not going to sign anything unless I have a lawyer next to me. And they said, okay, okay, you don't have to sign, but you're still under arrest. And after that, they still repeated to me, you, you can't go home. You can just accept everything and go home. Now, I, I'm not a law expert, but if a criminal is under arrest, they really shouldn't have the right to decide, okay, I'm just going to go home, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, what you're describing right now, I have heard this in a couple different flavors, but the, the general idea of what you're describing, I've heard this before. When it comes to when the foreigner then is faced with oh no, you know, am I going to be considered some sort of an aggressor here? And then they just say, if you will take the deal, the deal being, you know, don't press charges and let the other party kind of just go his or her own way. And then you can avoid any repercussions on your end. Unfortunately, I've, I've heard this before. Yes, unfortunately it happens. I don't know how legal it is. But I absolutely felt like I was being threatened. I was being told, if you don't sign this, we're going to, I mean, if you don't leave this, we are going to arrest you. I said, okay, well, let's continue on this because, because it's wrong. I didn't sign the Miranda rights document and I didn't sign the arrest report document that they put in front of me. But I found out later I was still considered under arrest. Because you, you were, you were fingerprinted, correct? Exactly. That was a little bit later on. Uh, one part that I didn't mention in, in my story online is that when we when those documents were put, put in front of me, after that, that's when I sat with my wife and I told her, you know what, they're not going to help me. And we were about to say, 
okay, we're going to leave. But they said, now everybody needs to get back into the police car and go over to the district police station. Because where you were was a very small structure. It was this, exactly, the small local station. It's just a little one-room place. So we went to the district police station, another 20-minute ride in the same... On the same car. All in the same car, and he continued to speak like that in that police car. Now, this is some, this is two and a half hours, three hours later. We go to the big police station, the big district police station, and as soon as we come in there, a detective says, okay, uh, I got your case. Tell me what happened. So, once again, we have to say what happened. Both sides. He continued with the swearing. And at that point, we told the detective, look, we, we, we just don't want to continue it. At which point the detective said, oh, that's great. And they asked the man to sit in a chair in front of us across a table. And then the detective left. He basically said, you guys sort it out. At that point, my wife and I, we, we were just so tired of the whole thing. And we knew that nothing was going to happen, that we just talked to him. Uh, we said, you know, oh, we're just trying to help your child. He finally stopped swearing at that point when he realized that we were not going to you know, press any more charges against him. He mumbled out an apology, whether it's sincere or not, that, that's inside his own mind. And then we called the detective and said, okay, we're done. So they said to the man, okay, please come this way. And the man then left. And I never saw him again. But he walked out of the detention area of the police station. I wanted to leave too, but they said, no, you can't go. Because you're a foreigner under arrest, we have to take your fingerprints. All 10 fingerprints scanned in a machine. Each finger was scanned two or three times. It took about 15 minutes. So clearly, without a doubt, I was arrested and fingerprinted. Did you ever get this man's information? Do you know who he is? Yes. I'm I, not asking who he is, but I mean, <laughs> did they did they give you that information so it wasn't just you had to, you know, get a picture of his face so when he walked off you had no idea, you know, where what his whereabouts were? Exactly. Uh, right before he left, we were all given a document in Korean that basically said, uh, this matter is resolved. Nobody's going to continue pressing charges. I signed, my wife signed, and he signed. Uh, and I have a picture of that document, so I have his name and an address, and he's got mine too. This original post that you mentioned has received quite a lot of attention. It's, it was on your personal Facebook, but it, uh, it was sent to public, which of course you can do. So it's been shared quite a lot. And as I mentioned at the beginning, that, that's how I found out about this. I haven't seen this reported anywhere. Um, I, I saw this on social media and I you know, entered into the discussion with some people um, in my network. And then I, I decided to reach out to you. And once again, I, I'm so happy that you decided to talk to me about this so we can kind of get the truth out there, at least according to you and your wife, and um, let people know that this type of thing, once again, not the first time I've heard of a story like this. Um, but I want to yes. finish with something from this first um, post, and then maybe we'll get to the update. But the, these are your words. I know I'm a foreigner, but I guess after my 16 years here, I was in a false sense of security that made me think Korea was welcoming to me. But the true reality came out last night. Koreans don't like us foreigners. They tolerate us. But when they get agitated enough, for a lot of them, not all, the racism comes out.
There were at least 10 police officers who witnessed the man's vile behavior, and not a single one stopped it. Busan police is a disappointment, and I know nothing will change. The only thing I can do is warn fellow foreigners. Avoid confrontation with Koreans. Do not get involved in strangers' lives. Do not attempt to help strangers. Even if you save their child's life, they will still mess you up. Yes, yes. I mean, my objective was to warn people. My objective is, initially, my objective was not to report a damage to me or get the man arrested or, or to even harm the police officers. My objective is simply to warn foreigners to be careful because that's the system we're on. And, you know, I know the laws of Korea do not have any provision to, to, to deal with discrimination or racism. In fact, the Korean Assembly has tried several times to pass laws, anti-discrimination laws, which include racism laws, but those laws keep getting voted down at the National Assembly by the far right, by the Christian conservatives, who don't like the fact that uh, homosexuals are included in those anti-discrimination laws. So because of that, there is no anti-discrimination laws in this country. Do I think Koreans all feel negative against me? No, I don't. But the government that represents them legally doesn't like us. You mentioned you've been here 16 years. Um, your, your wife is South Korean, which we've mentioned countless times in this conversation so far. What's your life been like together um, in, in the Busan area? Do you, have you lived in other foreign countries? I mean, do, aside from this incident, which obviously has shaped your opinion of police and of um, the Koreans around you that you might meet in a public area and of the country, how does this compare with other places you might have been? Well, I lived for many years in the United States in the deep south, uh, back in the 80s as a child and then in the 90s as a teenager. And of course, I experienced racism. I am Hispanic. I'm a brown person. And there's always going to be racist no matter where you go. My own country, Colombia, has a lot of racism, too. The difference, of course, is that in the United States, the police have a mandate to protect us. And that's the difference that I that I felt here in Colombia, too. We have very strong anti-discrimination laws here in Korea. I've had nothing but good relationships with all of my neighbors. I've lived in different parts of Busan. I've actually interacted with police officers a few times. And it's been in positive situations. Uh, I have. I've had very pleasant interactions with police officers before. Uh, right, not right. not because I committed a crime or anything, but when I've when I've had the opportunity to talk with police, or if I've been somewhere and a police person needed to address me for some reason, ninety nine percent of the time it's been very positive. Um, yes, absolutely. And but but at the same time, uh, the experience that you just described to me. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, I have a dog shelter, and at my dog shelter, we have regular volunteering, and the local policemen go visit our volunteering time maybe once a month, and there's one policeman that always comes. He's a great guy. He's donated to my shelter. I always, when he comes, I talk with him for 20 or 30 minutes. This was the first time that I actually was talking to police where I needed their help and protection. And it was very shocking for me, of course. Leo, there's an update that you've posted 
Um, I believe you've posted this update to the original post, and maybe you made another post as well. I can't recall, but there is an update now um, with some information. I believe the police department has reached out to you. Yes, yes, yes. I, this is the part that, to me, here's where the real hero of the story is going to come in. So I, my story got posted. I wrote the post, uh, I think it was on Saturday, and I wrote it about 10 or 11 a.m., maybe Friday, sorry. And when I wrote the post that night, I got a message from the person that runs the Busan Police Department Facebook page, who I'm assuming is either a civil servant or a police officer. And this person said, you know, they wanted to, to, to help me and try to clarify the situation. They got my phone number. They got my wife's phone number. And within a couple hours, she got phone calls from both the chief of the local police station and the chief of the district police station. And both chiefs were very apologetic. They were very friendly. Uh, but mostly the chief of the district police station, he was very strongly supporting us. He strongly apologized. And he also said something that I think makes this all worth it. He said... He is going to make an effort to train the officers that serve under him to understand human rights and racism and discrimination and how to better serve foreigners. So to me, he who I'll be honest with you, when, when you're going to hear from the police chief, you don't know which way it's going to go. Right. And he he came he, he came through a professional and a good human being. He came to our side. He didn't attempt to defend the actions of the police officers. He didn't attempt to justify it. He just simply took positive action. And, and I'm very happy about that. I guess just to play devil's advocate here, if I was in your situation, I don't know that I would be able to be so forgiving, so, so graceful <laughs> about just receiving a call from a high-ranking police officer after what happened to me. Do you really think that a few months down the road, six months down the road, if this happened to me or to another obvious foreigner, that something like this would not happen to them? I, I think this is definitely going to happen once again. What I'm hoping is by the actions of the police chief that he can help other police districts to establish a framework in which when people need the police to protect them in a case like this, the police at least have a reference point to, to, to act on it. Now, uh, I would love to see a national law passed that, that helps in these kinds of situations, but I know that's a very difficult law to pass. So I think after all of this, my original advice still stands. Foreigners do not get into confrontations with Koreans. And, you, and I, I mentioned this earlier, you hear this all the time. I mean, I'm a foreigner living in South Korea. Um, so, you know, obviously this is my, my, um, <laughs> this is my dynamic. You know, this, this is something that concerns me. But you, I, I hear this from other Koreans. This comes up in conversation. This idea of just we've, we've seen so many instances of people either not getting justice or even having justice turned on them, which, which sort of happened to you. But luckily, there, in the end, there were no charges. Um, that's a real thing here in South Korea. So I guess final thoughts, Leo. Um, I, I really appreciate you speaking with me about this. Um, while maybe there's, there's not going to be a change, a noticeable change anytime in the near future, even here in Busan with the police department, um, 
getting stories out like this, reporting on stories like this, even though, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, this is your um, perception of what happened. You mentioned some perceptions from your wife as well, which I assume would be correct. Um, But even that being the case, it seems like something did happen here that at the very least could have been handled in a much more professional and caring way. And that's at the very least. So absolutely. It's a, it's a matter of training. Uh, I've come out of this experience with, with a renewed sense of hope in Korean culture expanding because, you know, there have been literally thousands of comments on Facebook on this. And there have been so many comments that come from Koreans telling me, please don't think we're all like this. Please, please be patient with us. We're growing or something like that. And I've actually made an effort to respond to every single comment and message I've gotten from Koreans because I want to to increase positive relationships. So I think here there is a, a nice theoretical world where we all are going to get along and every police officer is going to be trained to protect us. But we don't live in a theoretical world. And in the real world, uh, to me, I just feel more reluctant than ever to have to deal with police in a situation where I have a confrontation with a Korean. So, so yes, my original advice stands. Do not enter into confrontations with Koreans because it's going to be very difficult for you to come out on top. Leo Mendoza sharing quite a story. Um, I'm glad that it it looks like even though, once again, at the very least, this could have been handled a little differently. Um, but a situation that it looks like in the long run, um, kind of like what happened with the physical altercation, you know, no scars, um, just you have the story in your mind and, and hopefully, you know, d- as you mentioned, don't get involved in the future, try not to repeat it, but then also let other people know what the reality can be here in South Korea. And, and in all fairness, I'm glad you brought this up because I've seen this happen before. Not all Koreans would act the way that some of the Koreans in this story acted if this were repeated, right. you know, dozens, hundreds of times throughout the country. Um, I'm not trying to, to make that stereotype. I, I definitely agree. Um, there's a reason that I've chose to spend several years of my life in South Korea. I really enjoy it here. But just like with my own country of the United States, there are quite a few things that would be um, a lot better if, if they were improved. And I think that's certainly a situation here. So Leo Mendoza, um, posted this uh, on Facebook. It's a public post, so you can look this up. I'm sure if you live in South Korea, people might be talking about it already. But once again, Leo, I really appreciate the fact not only that you're speaking with me, but this original um, public um, way that you went about this. I think it's very valuable. Um, I think it might save some people some trouble. And at the very least, it does create a conversation that you mentioned maybe sometime in the future. Um, you know, restaurants, businesses in South Korea might not be legally able to say, we don't want black people in our restaurant. I mean, that's something that's legal exactly. in South Korea. Yes. I've, I've reported on that. That's a problem in a lot of people's minds. And I think something like that, if, if you're against that, something like that is only going to change when people like you talk about these things. So Leo... Thank you so much. Best of luck um, to, on everything. Give my best to your wife. I'm sure she <laughs> is also a little shaken up by all this. And I thank her yeah. for her kindness and um, public um, way that she's going about this as well. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been great to be able to talk. It helps me too. It's therapeutic to be able to 
get these things off my chest. So I really appreciate that chance. You bet. Thank you so much, Leo. Okay, take care. This episode is brought to you by Podcast Assist, offering voiceovers, audio editing and mastering, transcriptions and show notes, episode summaries, and even hosting a podcast on a topic important to you. Visit facebook.com slash podcast assist for more info on their flat $30 per hour rate. Talk radio, music, and podcasts from the Korean Peninsula. Korea FM.net.